Well, good morning, Four Corners. That was actually pretty good. It's sunny outside. We're feeling good today. We've had a couple of sunny days lately, so we're all kind of happy. I've seen a lot of smiling faces. It's funny how things change when the sun comes out. I'm getting, I already got a few amen. This is going to be a good message. I can already tell. Hey, so my name is uh, Pastor Joseph. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm thrilled to get to speak to you this morning. Um, it's always an honor and a privilege um, when Pastor Ben entrusts me um, to, uh, to teach from God's Word uh, for him while he's out of town, and he's out of town this weekend on vacation, um, spending some time with his family. Um, but before I get into my message, um, I wanted to share just a little something with you guys. I wanted to thank you. Some of you know that I've uh, been gone the last about week, week and a half on a vacation um, with my family. And it was just, it was a blast. It was so much fun. We had such a good time. I actually have a picture I wanted to show you um, to basically sum up my, uh, my trip here. So this is me with uh, my twin girls right there. As you can see, I'm very sweaty um, um, right there. And so the reason I love this picture is because I got to make some memories with my little girls this last week. Um, the, the reason I love this first is because this path that we were walking on, there were lizards everywhere. And so if you've ever heard my girls talk, they talk with this funny, like, kind of little child type of thing that I think is the most adorable thing in the world, and I record it every chance I get. And so on this path, there were lizards everywhere, and my girls wanted Daddy to catch a lizard. And so every time we'd be walking down this path, and I'm sweating because I'm running back and forth, because it's like, Daddy, I see a wizard. I see a wizard. Go get it over there. And I would sprint and try and catch this lizard. And I never caught one, partially because I didn't want to touch it, but also partially because they're too fast. But I'm just being honest, all right? So we were going this path, and they loved trying to catch lizards every single day. And then you can see they have sunglasses on because they wanted sunglasses like, like Mommy and Daddy. And the reason that I think this picture is really funny is because you don't know how difficult it was to keep up with these sunglasses. We lost these things about every four hours. I walked around all over the place trying to find these things. We called restaurants. I'm constantly looking for these sunglasses because if you've had kids, you know when they want something, they want it. And they kept begging and screaming, where are my sunglasses, Daddy? Where are my sunglasses, Daddy? And so the reason I wanted to share this picture with you is because for me, this means a whole lot more than it's ever going to mean to you. To, to you, it's just a picture of, of Joseph and his two girls. To me, these, this picture symbolizes some memories that I'm going to get to share the rest of my life. And the reason that it means so much to me to be able to see this picture, wow, and talk about memories, is because I'm so thankful to be at a church that encourages, not just for you to invest in your families, but for our staff to invest in our families. I'm so thankful to be at a church under a pastor who is constantly asking me, how is my family doing? But not just how are they doing, what am I doing to invest into them? And it means the world to me genuinely from the bottom of my heart that you guys encourage us as staff, as pastors, to invest in our families, to make memories that I'm going to get to look back on and laugh and talk about for the rest of my life. So there's no place else on the planet I'd rather be. And I wanted to thank this church. I wanted to thank our staff. And I wanted to thank Pastor Ben for encouraging, for being generous, and for blessing us so much and letting us spend time with our family. So I had a great time. I'm back. We're here, and I'm going to get to speak today from God's Word. So we're talking about summer fruit this morning. We're continuing our series on gifts of the Spirit. I'm sorry, not gifts of the Spirit, on fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And it's funny, I watched Pastor Ben's message last week, and I felt the exact same that, man, this is, this is a tall order to get to talk about, because usually, like, you go to somebody, if you need help on something, who knows what they're talking about. And I, got to, I get to talk about, uh, about the fruit of the Spirit this morning, and I got to tell you, I have a lot of work in my life in these areas that needs to get done. Without even knowing, I kind of asked my wife, a little, I, I like to, you know, like, check in and see how I'm doing as a husband, and, and while we're 
gone. I just kind of asked a few questions to, you know, kind of fishing for compliments really is what was happening. And I found out very quickly that although she was very grateful for me, there are a lot of areas I need to work on in my life in terms of patience, in terms of peace, in terms of self-control. And so I'm going to do my absolute best this morning. Not to share with you what I think is going to help you, but to share with you, as I was studying this week, what God taught me that is helping me, and what I believe that God wants me to work on in my life, and hopefully will be able to help you as well. So I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read a couple of different sections of Scripture. We're going to start in verse 1, jump to verse 13, and then 22 and 23. They're on your message notes. They'll be on the screen. If you have your Bible, you can look there in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 1. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Then skipping down to verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. And then the scripture that everything's based on, verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Pray with me one more time. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the opportunity to freely worship you and freely dive into your word this morning. Pray that you would be with us, that you would speak. It would be your words, not mine. It would be your thoughts, not mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So how many of you would be honest this morning and say, ah, I'm a forgetful person. Some of you. How many of you are sitting next to somebody who's a forgetful person? See, some hands went up next to people who didn't raise their hand a while ago. So so we all know forgetful people, or we sometimes are forgetful. As much as I like to pride myself on being sharp and being on it and not forgetting things, my wife will tell you, I forget all kinds of things, all kinds of things all the time. And so not long ago, uh, we were engaged. I just graduated from uh, college, and I was getting prepared to move to North Carolina. I was going to take my first full-time position at a church, and I was so excited, and I had everything planned. All right, I knew exactly what I was going to do. I had an apartment I was going to move into. I had all my boxes packed up. I had my best friend going to drive my car with me to North Carolina. I had my brother lined up to help me pack the truck. Everything was planned. Not only that, but because I'm a hopeless romantic, I had also planned this last evening of me being in town after I boxed up all of my stuff the day before I moved, I was going to take my wife to this restaurant that I had never been able to afford. It's the only five-star restaurant in town. I actually worked there, and even with my discount, I still couldn't afford it. But I saved up, and this last night, I'm going to take my wife to this restaurant. I've never been able to take her before, and the next day I'm going to move and embark on this new journey of adulthood. And I was so excited. I had everything planned. So the morning comes, we wake up, I go and I meet my best friend and my roommate. We got all the boxes and everything together. And they asked me this very simple question. They said, Joseph, where are you picking up the truck from? And it was in that moment I realized I had forgotten something. I actually had never called and reserved a truck. And if you've ever moved before, you know that this is a problem. Like this, they, apparently they don't just have these lying around readily available. So I'm calling desperately trying to get a truck. It's several calls, several calls, several calls. I finally find somebody with a truck that's an hour away deep into the heart of the mountains in Tennessee. I'm like, great, crisis averted. I'm still going to be able to move. 
And so my wife and I drive out there. She was my fiance at the time, my wife now. We drive out to this place. I get the U-Haul truck, and, and, and while we were driving there, I noticed that we were on one of those roads that, you know, the highway's on this side. Then the middle, there's a lot of grass and trees and hills and stuff. And then the other side is where it goes the other direction. I knew this driving there. But whenever I got the truck, I'd never driven a truck like this before, so I'm already terrified. I mean, like, I'm right here, like, shaken in the parking lot, and I haven't even put it in drive yet. And I'm like, I can do this, right? I'm nervous. I'm sweating. And so I go out, and I pull on the road, and I start driving. Nervous as all get out. This is an absolutely 100% true story. And I'm driving, and people are passing me, going the other direction. And they're honking a lot, and they're yelling all kinds of things. And I'm already nervous. And I'm like, give me a break, guys. Like, I'm doing the best I can here. And after about the fourth car, truth, after about the fourth car, I realize I'm in a giant U-Haul truck going the wrong direction on a one-way highway. I had forgotten that this was a one-way highway. So I had this brilliant idea that here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to turn the U-Haul around right here. <laughs> This, is, this, is, this was a fun day. So I, I'm like, I got this. So I whip it around as far as I can, and I start to back it up. The problem is there's not a whole lot of road for me to back up on, but I think I got it because I've only ever driven a Kia Rio, and so I have no idea what a giant truck this really is. And so when I think I've got about another 10 feet, all of a sudden the back of it just boom, goes down into a ditch. And I'm like, well, I can get out of here. It's got gas. And I'm just, I'm pushing the pedal to the metal. Mud is flying everywhere. And I realize that not only am I stuck in the ditch, but this truck is so gigantic that I'm blocking the entire highway now, sitting in this truck because I had forgotten that it was a one-lane highway. So, of course, oncoming traffic is stopped at this point. People are not happy at all. Um, I'm getting yelled at. People are saying all kinds of things. But luckily, a police officer shows up. And he says, sir, what happened? And what, you see, what, what had happened was um, I have no idea what I'm doing. And um, so we were able to get a tow truck, and they came and pulled me out of the ditch and got me going back the right way. And I thought, man, this, is, this, is, whew, this has been a bad day. It's going to be good. I'm going to get home. We're going to pack up. I'm going to move tomorrow. But I'd forgotten one other thing is I had made reservations with my fiancé to go to this five-star restaurant. We were supposed to be there at 6. It's now 7.30 at night. We've completely missed it. And I thought that it would be okay. But I asked my wife yesterday if I've ever forgotten anything. And she said, remember the time you forgot you had a reservation and you didn't take me and it was seven years ago and we still have never been to this restaurant. So um, she has not forgot, but I tend to forget things very well. Um, and so, and so there, were, there was lots of consequences to my forgetfulness, right? And so we've all gone, maybe you're, you haven't had that bad of an experience, but maybe you, know, you had some type of experience where you forgot something. Right? Maybe, uh, maybe, you were, uh, maybe you were cooking some food and you forgot to set the timer and you left it in there for too long and your famous barbecue chicken just burned to a crisp. Right? Like, like some, maybe that's happened. Maybe, maybe you worked really hard on a presentation and you were really prepared for it and then the day that you were supposed to present it, you forgot your laptop at home. Right? Or, or maybe, uh, maybe you, were at, you were really busy, you had a lot of stuff going on, you were going to fly, and right as you got to, um, right to the check-in and everything, they asked if you could see your license, and you realized, well, I left that at home. Maybe I'm only speaking from my personal experiences here because I'm very forgetful. But like, you know, like may, or maybe, maybe you had something more simple. Maybe your kid had a soccer game or a band concert or something you were supposed to be at, you planned on being there, but it came and it went, and you completely forgot. We all forget things. And the thing is that there are consequences to when we forget things. 
But whenever we say that we forgot something, the implication is that at one point we knew it. At one point, I knew I was supposed to reserve a truck, right? I just forgot. At one point, you knew you were supposed to go to the game. You just forgot. Like, like there are things that when we say we forgot, we imply that at one point in time, we knew them. But this morning, I want to dive into this, this, this question, dive into this reality that I believe that God was really pressing on me this week. It's pretty simple. It's what happens when we forget how much, how deep, and how wide God loves us. Like, it's not that we don't know it. We, we, we at one point in our life knew it, but what happens when we actually forget that? Because when we forget it, our life begins to look a little differently. When I forgot that I was supposed to go to a soccer game, if I had remembered, I would have been there. If I hadn't forgotten that I was supposed to reserve a truck, if I had remembered, I, had re- I would have reserved it, right? But a lot of times we forget how much, how deep, and how wide God loves us. And because we forget that reality, what happens is our actions and our lives begin to look a lot different than they would if we just remembered it on a daily basis. And so this morning, the question I'm really going to present is pretty simple. What happens in the life of a church and in the life of a Christian when we actively remember God's love for us, when we remember how much God loves us? And so this morning we're reading from Galatians, and the reason I love this book is because Paul's actually talking to some of the same things that we're talking about right now. If you read, not just in chapter 5, but if you read the entire book, Paul is actually writing to this church in Galatia who's dealing with this exact issue. Paul was a missionary. He had gone, he went, and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he had preached salvation, and he said that it was free simply because of grace, simply because of what Christ had done on the cross. Anybody could be saved, and a lot of people gave their life to the Lord, and a church was born and began to prosper. So, so Paul leaves, and after some time, what happens is in, verse, in chapter 1, he talks about this new gospel came up. This new gospel came up that was preaching, yes, grace, but also works. And he says, how quickly was it that you forgot the truth that I had told you, and now you're following a new gospel? And so he writes this entire book saying, hey, there's three things I want to do. One, I want to tell you to avoid this new gospel. Two, I want to try to caution you not to fall into this other way of living. And three, I want to teach you how to prosper living the right way. And so in chapter 5 here, I think we give three examples of what this are. And in your notes, if you're taking them, I think three ways that we can live. The first one he tells us about is found in uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So if you're filling out your notes, the first one is we can live under legalism. We can live under legalism. So what is legalism? Legalism is this term that we use that basically says God is a vending machine. I can just put in the right coin, I can press the right buttons, and if I do the right thing, then I will get what I want from God. And this is what they were saying, this new gospel. They were saying, hey, yes, Grace, but you also have to be circumcised. And if you aren't circumcised, you aren't really saved. And so you have to do works along with grace. And if you don't do the works, then really you're not truly a follower of Jesus Christ. And so what happens is we fall into this all the time. As we get into this habit of saying, I've got to check off the right things. I've got to go to church the right amount of times. I've got to read the Bible the right amount of times. I've got to do enough good deeds. I've got to do this here and do this there and do this here. All because if I don't do enough good works, I am not truly going to be saved. And the problem with that mentality is that we forget that God loved us despite us not having these works. That God loved us despite the fact that we didn't do these things. God still loved us and chose us. So people who choose to live under 
uh, choose to live under legalism, I, I would refer, and I've heard a lot of people refer to as mean Christians. They're mean Christians. They're mean Christians because they believe in Jesus Christ, but they're living, and as he talks about in verse 1, under this burden, under this yoke of slavery. And because it is so difficult and because it is so heavy, they're miserable. And because they're miserable, they're usually really, really mean. They're really easy to identify because they're usually the biggest complainers in the room. Right? Like some of you are smiling because you're like, man, I know, that's me. Right? Like I, this is me talking here to myself as well. Mean Christians a lot of times complain about everything. You know what? The service is too long. The service is too short. The music was too loud. The music wasn't loud enough. You do too much for kids. You don't do enough for kids. There's always something a mean Christian will find a way to complain about. Because the problem is they're trying so hard, they feel like they're not good enough. They've got to do so many good things to finally make it. that They're holding this yoke. They're holding this burden. They're in slavery under this. And when they look and see that you're not feeling the weight that they're feeling, when you're not under this burden that they're under, they want to point out all the things that you need to fix. They're really mean Christians. Or, or, or they're also not just the complainers. They're also the ones who are the just tell it how it is Christians. I just tell it how it is. I just say whatever I feel. Man, that's just the way that God made me. That's not the way God made me. That's the way you chose to live. God calls us to speak with truth, but also with grace. Tell it how it is Christians are under this burden. They're so miserable. They're so constantly looking at all the things that are wrong with them. They want to make sure that you know what's wrong with you. And because they are constantly telling themselves this, this idea that they're bad, that they're wrong, they need to make sure that you know that you're bad and that you're wrong. And instead of ever speaking with grace, they always just speak with what they, kind, what they, what they coin as truth. So mean Christians who live under legalism are people who are big complainers, and they're also people who usually are some of the, uh, usually some of the tell-it-how-it-is Christians. But then he tells us there's another way that you can live. Maybe you're not legalism. Maybe you get out from under this yoke, out from under this burden. Instead of living under legalism, your next point is we can live under lawlessness. In verse 13, he says, all right, so, so some of you have cast off this burden, this yoke, but now in your freedom, you have to be really careful. He says, my brothers, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And so what happens is people get out of this yoke of burden. What happens is they get out of this idea that they have to do all of this stuff to be right. And they think, well, grace is free. God loves me. He's going to love me no matter what. I can live however I want to live. Well, this is lawlessness. And he says, be very, very careful not to fall into this. Because what happens whenever we fall into this is instead of living with what we should be living by by love, what we do is we live instead by lust. And I know when I say lust, you think of like just a sexual term, but I'm talking about the full totality of the term that says me, me, me. Love says, love says I should give. Lust says I should take. Love says you matter. Lust says I matter. Love says I should do what's best for you. Lust says you should do what's best for me. And so what happens when we live in lawlessness is we're constantly taking whatever we want, whatever we think is best for us. And when instead of calling these mean Christians, I would say these are just bad Christians. I said these are people who are living with whatever they want to do, however they want to do it. A lot of these Christians usually only give towards things that personally benefit them. A lot of these Christians will never actually serve because they just don't want to. A lot of these Christians really struggle with hearing the word no because they're constantly telling themselves yes. You see, 
We can, be a, we can believe in what Jesus did on the cross and be free from the yoke of slavery, from the yoke and burden of the slavery of living under the law. But if we're not careful, we're actually going to live in lawlessness, which says I can do whatever I want, live in lust, and what we're going to do is continue to fill our lives with things that are not of God. The third thing you can do is you can live under legalism, you can live in lawlessness, and the third one you can do is you can live free through the Spirit. You can live free through the Spirit. And this is what he begins to talk about in verse 16, and we read verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So it says, hey, if you live free through the Spirit, the Spirit will begin to produce, it'll come and live inside of you, and it'll produce something within you. It'll produce fruit. And a lot of times when we think of fruit, what we picture in this is we picture all these different types of fruit. We picture like this tree, the spirit is living within me and, and love is maybe an apple and joy is maybe a pineapple because it always makes people happy. And maybe, uh, maybe peace is, uh, is an orange and we picture all of these different types of fruit. But if you read Paul's words here, it's not a plural way he's looking at. He's not saying that there are multiple fruit of the spirit. He's saying that there is only one fruit of the spirit. If you're looking at your notes, there's only one fruit of the Spirit. And so to try to figure out how this, how, what this looks like, I, um, I, I love to bring props. So I brought up here, does anybody know what this is? Like you're afraid to say it, you know what this is. <laughs> this is an orange, right? Now, this is not a trick question. Like I'm not going to throw an axe at you this morning, all right? Like you had to be at the last message to understand that one. So, like, so uh, this is an orange here. And so I thought about it. I said, if, if I asked somebody to come up here and I blindfolded them, I won't do it because people get terrified when you blindfold them. I don't know why, but people get terrified to be on stage with a blindfold. So I was just thinking, if I brought someone up here, blindfolded them, pulled this orange out and gave it to them, and they bit into it, and I said, what is this? Everybody would say, an orange. Automatically. I'd say, what does it taste like? An orange. It's an orange. No doubt. Everybody would say, this specific thing is an orange. But if I said, can you detail what an orange tastes like? Well, you would say, well, it's, it's sweet, it's got a bumpy texture, maybe it's citrusy, um, it's very soft. Like, I, I don't know, we, we could come up with a lot of ways to describe what an orange tastes like. That's the way that Paul is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. It is one fruit that when you bite into it, it is beyond the shadow of a doubt, the fruit of the Spirit. It is the orange, it is the one fruit. But when you begin to describe what that fruit tastes like, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's only one fruit, but when you bite into it, there's actually lots of different ways to describe what that fruit tastes like. And so if I asked, I actually was with some friends last night, and I asked them, if you bit into an orange, and I asked you to describe what it tastes like, what would you say? And they immediately said, sweet. Well, that's right. Almost everybody, I, I did the research, almost everybody would immediately bite into an orange. And if I said, describe what it tastes like, besides saying orangey, they would say sweet, right? And it's the same way, the point that we're going to get into this morning is Paul begins talking about the fruit. And the first thing he uses to describe it is love. And so it's the exact same way with the orange and the sweetness. If somebody experiences you in their life, if somebody meets you, if somebody bites into the fruit of the spirit that is in your life and they're asked how to describe that experience with you, how to describe when they met you, how to describe when you had this encounter, how to describe when you were angry about something, how to describe how you parented them, how to describe how you were their friend, the first thing they should do in describing that is saying, well, they were loving. 
Well, yeah, well, what about patience and kindness and gentleness? All of those are part of it, but the first thing that we are marked by is love. So I have another prop, and this will be my last prop, I promise. A lot of times what we do is we get so focused in on all of these different fruit. We get so focused in on what we do is we say, all right, yeah, love, I get it. Love, 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 love. I've got to do that, boo, whoop-dee-doo. I get it. I've heard this a thousand times. But what we do is we start looking at all the areas that we need to fix. Start looking at all the areas that we know we need to get better at. Well, my spouse has told me that I'm not very patient, so I really need to focus on patience. Well, I really need to get a lot better at kindness. And if I don't get better at kindness, then really I'm, I'm missing it. I really need to get better at self-control. And so what we do is we are constantly looking and saying, okay, well, maybe this is the one fruit of the Spirit, but I have to fix there are certain parts here that I need to get better at. As I began to look at this, I did the exact same thing. I said, God, I need to be more patient. God, I need to be more self-controlled. God, I need to be more gentle. And he began to show me that instead of looking at it as different aspects that we need to try to fulfill, what if we looked at it as one and thought about how they build on top of each other? So this is what we call Jenga. Has anybody ever played Jenga? Does anybody like Jenga? Is anybody terrified of Jenga? I will be honest, my hands are shaking because I'm terrified of Jenga because I hate messes. And um, to play the game, you have to be okay with the mess, and I'm not okay with that. So, so what happens a lot of times is I'm not going to go very high because this may not turn out as well as I wanted it to. So, so, so what happens a lot of times is we look at the fruit of the Spirit, and we look at our lives, and we say, well, you know what? I'm really not that patient, right? Like, I need to work there. There are some gaps there. Well, I'm really not... Um, that, that kind, and so I need, I need to work on my kindness. You can see I'm so bad at this. My hands are shaking so much. I'm not going to be able to do as many as I thought. So we go in, and we're constantly looking at all the gaps that we need to fix. I need to be more gentle. I need to be more kind. I need to be more patient. But if you're like me, when you begin to work on patience, you begin to work on kindness, you begin to work on self-control, have you ever just felt like you always failed? Like, man, I tried really hard to be more patient, and the first time that my girl screamed at me, I screamed back, right? Like, I really, really tried to show more kindness, but, man, they cut me off in that road, and I just had to let them know it was wrong, right? Like, I mean, like, I, I try so hard, and I know that I have these gaps, and I'm constantly trying to, to fill the gaps and put things in the, pl- in the right place. But what happens is, I, is I'm not going to do it, but what happens is I end up falling. I end up failing I go over and over and over. Because I believe that a lot of times what we do is we look past the foundation. We look past the thing that is the most important. Because for a lot of us, especially for me, I usually talk while I do stuff. I can't do this right now. Ha ha, all right. So, so usually what happens is we're constantly trying to fill in these gaps. We're trying to be more patient, more kind, more gentle, more self-controlled, have more joy, have more peace. But the fact is, we never looked at the foundation, which is love. And a lot of us are missing in this area of our life. And the fact is, if we had a better foundation of love, it would be a lot easier for all of the other ones. In Ephesians, in your notes there, Paul, again, talking to a church in Ephesus, says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that you would be rooted, that the first thing that you would have, the first thing that you would focus on, the first thing that God would indwell within you is his love. Because you know what, if we, if we really, really had a much better foundation of love, it'd be a whole lot easier to be patient. It would be a whole lot easier to be kind to people if I remembered the love and the kindness of God. It would be a whole lot easier to have joy if I remembered that God loves me exactly as I am. 
But so many times we're so focused on, well, I gotta, I gotta fix this right here. I've got a gap here. I need, I need to improve this. And you keep failing because you have yet to look at the foundation that love has in your life. And for a lot of us, especially for me, it's pretty weak. And you can try and you can fix and you can push and you can add new habits and put things in your life, but you're going to consistently fail because the foundation, the root of all that the fruit of the Spirit is, is always founded in love. I'm going to put this up before I make a giant mess here. So if the fruit of the Spirit, if there's only one fruit of the Spirit, and when the fruit is tasted, it is first characterized by love. So then what is love? That's the million-dollar question, right? Like, okay, well, what exactly is love? I get it. You're talking about love. It's important. It's got to be the foundation. What is love? Well, I think Luke 10 really sums it up pretty easily for us. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you just do these two things, everything is summed up within these two. And I love that it begins with love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Now, this is a tall order to do. Like, I don't know about you, but to love the Lord with all of my heart, to love the Lord with all of my mind, I can agree with that conceptually, but the ability to do that is actually rather difficult to do. Like, maybe not for you, maybe it's just for me, but I really struggle in this area. So let's break it down. He says, hey, love the Lord with all your heart. This is not just how you feel, but this is your passions and your desires, that you are so passionate about God, that you love him so much, that it just overflows out of everything you do from within. And he says, love the Lord with all your soul. Your soul is, is really talking about the body, talking about the soul, the life that God has given you. So what are your, your words should reflect your love for God. Your actions should reflect your love for God. Your talents should reflect your love for God. And he says, love the Lord with all your strength. And when I was little, I loved this part because I was like, I could do more push-ups than all of you. When I was little, I, I, not today, you, many of you could do more push-ups than me today. But when I was little, I was like, yes, this is all about strength. But really, if you look in the Greek, it's not talking about a muscular strength. He's talking about the things that you have at your disposal, the strengths that you have, your finances, your jobs, your family, your marriages, your kids, the strengths that God has endowed you with. These are the things that you love him with. And then your mind, this is your understanding that you will submit your understanding, your mind to God. But what do you do when this is very difficult to do? What do you do when you just got a bad report? What do you do when you had a bad day? What do you do when she walked out on you? What do you how in the world can I love God with all whenever I don't have anything to love him with. I don't have any passion. It's really easy when I'm on the mountain to get over there and worship and praise and say, God, you were awesome, I am passionate. But what, how do I do that when I'm in the valley and there's nothing left to love God with? When I was younger, I loved playing football. In my senior year, I had this, I had this crazy idea. I had this idea that during the first quarter, I didn't want to just be as fast and strong as everybody. I wanted to be as strong as fast as everybody in the fourth quarter. I wanted to actually be a little bit faster. I wanted to be able to give my all, not just in the beginning, but in the end. So I had this idea that after practice every day, I would take off my shoulder pads and everybody else would run in the locker room and I would just do laps. I would just run. I would do sprints. I would run up a hill. I would do all kinds of stuff for about 20, 30 minutes. My coach asked me one day, he said, why are you doing all of this excessive running? You're in Texas. It's hot. All right. You are really skinny. Like, you should not be running all of this. You were losing way too much water weight. And I said, Coach, it's very simple. I don't want to be able to do it whenever I feel like it. I want to be able to do it when my body's hurting. I want to be able to press even beyond that in the fourth quarter and be able to run and hit harder than anybody else on the field. And, you know, it's the same way when it comes to our relationship with God. In order to love with all, you must be willing to love beyond what you currently possess. 
So that means that you got to be able to love God with your heart even when you don't currently feel like it. It means you've got to be able to love God with your soul even whenever the finances don't look the way that they should. I'm still going to trust him. you got to be willing to love God even with your strength whenever you trust him with your, with your marriage and with every, your family and with the things in your life. And when we do things like this, it really stands out. I'm not going to embarrass him by sharing his name, but there's one man in this church that has just, his life has spoken wonders to me. And some of you will know as soon as I begin talking about him, a few months back he got diagnosed with cancer. And, and I remember talking to him on the phone. Hey, hey, brother, I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. You know the craziest thing that as I talked to him every Sunday that he was here and every time I was with him on the phone and he's literally it's staring death in the face. You know what he always kept telling me? Man, God is so good. I mean, how in the world can you say God is so good when you just got diagnosed with these? Like, man, God is, man, God has blessed me. God has been so awesome. Man, I am so thankful for what God has done in my life. And then he began to call me and he began to say, hey, can I help out? Can I do anything in the church? Like, man, why don't, why don't you just take care of yourself? He's like, man, I'm really good with my hands. I can, I can come build some things for you. I can work. Hey, don't worry about that. He said, well, I'm not, I'm not feeling that well. Maybe I can come and I can be a greeter. Can I just come and sit at the door? I just love to high five people and shake their hand when they come in the door. I'm like, man, you don't need to do that. So he was, he was loving his God, loving God even with the soul. And I mean, remember like talking to him and every time I talked to him, he's so, he's so proud of his family. Every time I talked to him, he began to tell me about his daughter and just how awesome she is and just all the things that she's done and the things that she's doing. And man, I'm just, he's just so thankful for that. And he even loved God with his mind that whenever his understanding said that this is not the way it should be, he still said, I'm gonna love God even beyond my understanding. You see, his love for God is so unique, it's so transformative that it literally began to change the way that I viewed my love for God. Because you can't just love God with what you have. You've got to be willing to trust him by faith and loving him with what you don't have. Even when you don't feel like it, can you still love God and push through? Even whenever things aren't going your way and you feel weak and you don't have energy, can you still push through and serve and love God? Even whenever everything seems to be going bad around you, can you still love God with the strengths, with the things that he has blessed you with? And can you love God even when you don't understand it? This is the love that he's talking about, that we love God beyond what we currently possess. And then he says, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I love this because right after it, he tells this parable that everybody knows, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we love this and we say, yeah, I want to be a Good Samaritan. I'm going to go out and I'm going to look for somebody to love. The thing about the Good Samaritan is he wasn't out looking for somebody. He was just out walking his normal path. He's going from point A to point B, and God put somebody in his path and said, love him. You see, for a lot of us, you don't have to go to Africa to love people. The thing that I heard a long, long time ago, and I've never forgotten, is somebody told me, why do we have to step over hurting, dying people to get to hurting, dying people? There are hurting, dying people in your work, in your school, in your family, in your neighborhood that are in your path. Those are the neighbors that God has called you to love. What does that love look like? Well, I didn't put it on here, but you've all heard 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not self-seeking. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And I love that one for me, but it's really difficult to do for other people, right? But like, this is love, and I want that type of love. And he says, in the same way that you want that type of love, you should love other people. I sat across the table from, um, from a lady one time who, who had... Uh, who I believe was trying to do the right things, but she was lost in a lot of legalism. 
And so she had left a massive, this is at a church before I was here, uh, so nobody here at Four Corners, this is in North Carolina. This lady had left a wake of damage behind her. There were people who were hurt. There were people who thought that they didn't measure up. There were people who thought that they had just failed. And, I, like, and it wasn't just what she did, but it was how she did it. And so I remember sitting her down and talking to her and like, hey, why are, you, why are you doing this? Like, why do you feel the need to express to everybody else the same rules you have on yourself? That, that's, that's not biblical. And I'll never forget what she told me. She's talking through all these things. And then she looks right at me and says, you know what, Joseph? Like, God didn't call me to be kind. Like, God calls people to do different things, but he didn't call me to be kind. And so I was kind of taken aback, because I've never heard a Christian say that before. That's a mean Christian, all right? So I'm like, how do I answer this? And so I just quickly respond, so you mean that God hasn't called you to possess, to possess kindness, which is a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit? And if the Spirit isn't dwelling within you, then naturally it's going to come out. God hasn't called you to that? And she really didn't know what to say at that point. She really kind of stepped back and said, well, I've never thought about it that way. So, well, the truth is, if God calls you to it, you can learn to do it. There are a lot of things that love is that we say, man, I am just not built that way. I am just not naturally kind. I have really struggled with keeping a record of wrongs. I really struggle with not being boastful. I really struggle with being patient. But if God calls us to it, let me tell you something. You can learn to do it. Read the Old Testament. God called David to be a king when he was a teenager. He had no idea how to be a king, but he learned to do it. God called Noah to build an ark, and he had no idea what an ark even was, but he learned to do it. God called Moses and said, go and free my people. Go be a leader of millions. He said, I have no idea how to do this, but he learned how to do it. Gideon was a weak, frail, terrified little man. And God said, you are a warrior. I'm calling you to be a warrior. He had no idea how to do that, but he learned how to do it. And the truth is that God calls us to love, and there may be things that come into love that you say, I'm just not good at. I don't know how I'm going to do that. But if God calls you to it, I can promise you that you have the ability to learn how to do it. We can all learn to be kind. We can all learn to speak with grace. We can learn to not be boastful. We can learn to not keep a record of wrongs. It's not that it happens overnight, but you can learn just as I can learn. And so if that is what love is, then very simple, the final question is where is the love? Like, where is it? Because I told the story of the man in this church who loved the Lord with everything that he has. I'm like, man, I, I want to be like that. I want more people to be like that. And we talk about this love that we're supposed to have for each other. Man, I want that. I want to see that. I want to experience that. But the truth is, a lot of us don't possess that and we don't see that. The truth is, where is the love? Well, the love is where the love is lost and what we've forgotten. Because when you forget how much God loves you, you begin to love the way that you think love should be. But if you remember the way that God loves you, then you love the way that God loves you. So very simple, your first point there is our love isn't based on circumstances. It's based on who we are. Love isn't based on circumstances. It's based on who we are. I, uh, I, I traveled with those sweet girls I showed you just a few minutes ago. And for 98% of the trip, they were the angels that they look like in that picture. But we had to fly home. And flying home was, was difficult. So we're on this flight, two flights, each about five hours. Um, and I will tell you, nobody on that plane slept a minute. It wasn't because we were all having a party 
and my girls were dancing in the middle. No, it, it was because my girls lost their mind. Like, they were screaming and yelling and crying, and they were inconsolable. I mean, every stewardess or every flight attendant is trying to help us. Me and my wife are just holding them. They're screaming. They're yelling. Their ears hurt. They're tired. They won't stop. And I don't mean like five minutes and then they'd rest and ten minutes and then rest. I mean like two and a half hours of nonstop. And everybody on that plane hates me. And I told them that my name was Ben Tempe because I didn't want them to know um, who I was. I was like, Ben Tempe, here's where I work. You can, you can look me up and complain. So like, I'm just like, ah, oh, this is so embarrassing. And I got to tell you, like, I, I was... I was really stressed out. Like, me and my wife are both, like, just looking at each other, like, in tears, like, what do we do? Like, I, I'm okay with, like, you not liking me because I'm doing something, but, like, you hating me because of my child? Like, I struggle with that. And so we go, and we get off the plane, and I don't, I don't say a word because I'm just like, I, if one person says something to me, I'm going to lose it right now. Like, don't you even think about it. And so we get off the plane, and we're getting all of our stuff, and I'm, I'm agitated, I'm tired, I'm frustrated. I take our girls who've been crying, they're red, they're screaming, there's snot everywhere, there's tears everywhere. I take them, and I put them in the stroller, and I kid you not, the moment I put them in the stroller, Braley pulls the top down, and she says, Daddy, I hide from you. God, yeah, you better hide from me, like, <laughs> is what I thought. But you know, the first thing I did is I smiled. I was like, you can't hide from me, Braley. And I start tickling her and playing with her, and I'd push her a little bit, and I'd run around, and I'd get back to her. Why? Because I don't love my daughters based on their circumstances. I love them because of who they are. There's nothing on the planet my girls would do that would ever make me love them any less. It could be 10 hours of hell on earth, but I will love those girls with everything. There's nothing that they could do that would ever change that, and it is the exact same way with God with you and me. There's nothing that you can do. There's no circumstance. There's nothing you can do wrong. There's nothing you can do right. There's nothing that will change the way that God loves you. God loves you exactly as you are because of who you are. You're his son. You are his daughter. He died on a cross for you. He loves you no matter what happens or changes in your life. And so when I remember that God loves me, even though that, man, I have a lot of sin in my life, even though, you know what, I'm not the best husband. I'm not the best father. I'm not the best pastor. I'm not the best leader. I am not the best friend. But God still loves me despite of those things. See, when I remember that, then in turn I say, well, I should love other people the exact same way. I don't love you based on what you do or don't do for me. You know what, I've been yelled at in this church before. Like, oh, like why are you yelling at me? I'm a nice guy. Like, I've been yelled at. That hasn't changed the way that I care about you. I love you no matter what you do. Like, we should love people despite what they do and what they don't do. Well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. No, regardless of their circumstances, we love people because of who they are. That is your brother. That is your sister. That is God's creation who he uniquely formed and made and put on this planet and put in your path. So regardless of how you may feel, you are to love them because God first loved us. The second point I have is, is you have to allow the Spirit of God to heal you in order to produce love through you. See, I think that we forget that whenever we first encountered God's love, when we first received salvation, what happened is we were freed. Right, like, like that's why we were so ecstatic to be free from sin, to be free from bondage, to be free from my mistakes, to be free from all this. Yes, sign me up. I want to be free. And then we begin to follow Jesus and we forget that we've already been freed. You see, in order to love 
the way that God calls us to love. We have to remember that we've already been freed. And the problem is a lot of us were freed many years ago, but we, stu- but we choose to live in bondage to things that people do to us today. You see, I, as I begin to pray and think about my own life, I begin to think about all the reasons that all the excuses I give not to love. Well, God, like, they should have never done that to me. God, I mean, do you remember what they did to my family? Do you remember what they said to my wife? Like, I have all the reason in the world not to love. Man, God, I, I don't have to love. Like, that boss is terrible. My ex-spouse is the worst. You have no idea what I go I don't have to. See, if you let the Spirit of God come in, what he wants to do is he wants to heal you so that he can produce love through you. And the thing is, so many of us have forgotten that God has already paid for it all on the cross. See, what we remember is he paid for our sin. What we forget is he paid for their sin too. God already died for what they were going to do to you. God already died for how they were going to hurt you. He already died for what they were going to say to you. He died for how you were going to be broken because he died because of what your boss was going to do. He died because of what your spouse, he died for their sin just as he died for yours and for mine. And so in order to love the way that God loves, we have to remember that and say, God, I need you to heal me so that you can produce love through me. See, when we remember that, what happens is we begin to change. And here's the whole point of this series is it's not that we have to do more. The point is, what would it look like if we just let the Spirit do it through us? So this morning, I'm not telling you to go out and love more and write down all these nice notes and give them to yourself. I'm not telling you to do that. What I'm saying is, remember that God loves you no matter what you've done, wrong or right. In the same way, go and love other people. Remember that God already freed you from your sin. Well, remember that he also freed you from their sin too and let his spirit come in and heal you. And what will happen is this foundation of love will begin to build in our life and it'll get stronger and stronger and stronger. And also it'll be a lot easier to be joyful at work because it's not conditional on what somebody says and what your boss thinks and what the person looks like next to you. It's only conditional on God's love for you. It'd be a lot easier to have peace whenever you just got that terrible diagnosis and whenever your spouse did this to you, whenever your kids are screaming and yelling because it's not conditional on anybody or anything else. The only thing that matters is God's foundational love for you. You want to be more patient? Start focusing on God's love for you. You want to be more kind? Start focusing on God's love for you and let the Spirit begin to work in and through your life. So this morning as we get ready to close, we want to take a few bold steps. I'd love for you to pull out your Connect card, that thing that Pastor Melissa talked about in the beginning. And I'd love for you to look at there. We're going to give you some options, A, B, C, D, and E. Because I don't want you to just hear this message, but we want you to actually take a step with it. So both step A, I've been talking a lot to people who, who believe in Jesus Christ and who can remember when they encountered God, who can remember the love that they felt. But maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never felt that love. I've never experienced that. I have no idea what it's like to be loved regardless of what I've done because I've done a lot of bad things in my life. You mean that somebody loves me just as I am? Yeah. You can check bold step A, and I'd love to talk with you. Our staff would love to meet with you and say, today I'm making Jesus my Lord and Savior. You can experience that love that we've talked about maybe for the first time today. And it's so much more than just checking a box, but if you check that box, we believe that is a step, that is something on the outside reflecting what God is doing on the inside. Or maybe bold step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. Today I'm choosing to be baptized. You're saying, you know what, I have, I have fallen in love with God, but I never made that full commitment. A lot of times I look at it as an engagement. I accepted the ring, but I haven't walked down to the aisle and said I do. I accepted what God did for me, but I haven't made that full commitment publicly. 
you can be baptized and make that public commitment. Say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Or bold step C says, pray for me as I seek to allow the Spirit of God to heal me in order to produce love through me. I think more than anything, what we need is we need God to heal us. We need God to heal us from other people's sin. And when you allow him to come in and heal you, in time he will begin to produce love through you. Bold step D says, uh, I want to sign up for Grow 3, Discovering Your Design on July 14th. This is an incredible class that we offer. This is an opportunity for your discipleship to continue to grow. This is a class that's held on Sunday after service. Lunch is there. Child care is there. Or Bold Step E says, sign up to serve at the Healing Center Saturday, July 6th at 9.30 a.m. Just, hey, you know what? I want to go out and serve. I want to love my community. I want to be a blessing to those around me, regardless of who they are or what they've done. They don't have to do anything for me. I just want to love them and bless them. You can set your connect card off to the side. Our ushers are getting prepared to come and take our tithes and offering. And I just want to tell you guys, like, that you hear this all the time, but it is so true. We have such a generous church. A few weeks ago, I got to stand on stage and tell you guys about what God did in the lives of our students at student camp. And even last night, I talked with a few students, and they said, I've just never encountered anything like this before. And it's just so awesome to see students fully going after God with everything they have. And I'm going to tell you, we're able to do that because we have such a generous church that gives. And you don't just give with your tithes, but you give with your energy, you give with your prayers, you give with your encouragement. I've never been to a church that loves kids and students more than this. Every kid and student in here knows that they are valued, not because the staff says it, but because you say it. Because you high five them, because you compliment them, you encourage them when they get up and worship, you encourage them when they lead, you encourage them when they serve in kids. This is an incredibly generous church. This morning, we're gonna take up our tithes and offerings. And I just wanna thank you for continuing to be generous with your tithes, your finances, but also just generous with who you are, with your encouragement to our next generation. So we're gonna pray over our offering and then we'll go back into a time of worship. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. God, I thank you that you love me just as I am. And God, as I dove into this and I really looked in my own heart, God, there are so many things in my life that I wish were better. But God, you love me exactly as I am. And God, there are some things that I need to be healed from. And God, I believe there are some things in this room that need to be healed from. God, I believe there are some people right now that that are thinking about that anger in their heart. They're thinking about that bitterness. They're thinking about that apathy they have towards that person because of what they did. God, I just pray you would remind them that God, you've already forgiven that person. You already died for that pain that they feel. You already died for that resentment. You already died for that bitterness. And we don't have to live like this. And so, God, I pray that you would begin to heal us, heal our hearts. God, heal us so that we can love. God, we pray over the tithe and offering. We pray that you would bless it. God, we pray that we would continue to bless our church, our next generation. God, we would bless our community. That, God, we would be a light in dark places for your kingdom. God, we will thank you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen.